0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss. I served four terms in Congress representing the 10th Congressional District of Georgia, and now I'm extremely honored to have joined the team at Family Research Council in a new role. As Senior Advisor to the President, I'm extremely pleased to be sitting in for Tony this evening on this Friday edition of the program, and thank you for joining in. I tell you what, we have a packed program in store for you this evening. Here we are, day four of the race for the Speaker of the House, multiple votes again today, and still, we don't have a winner. We don't know who the Speaker of the House is going to be when could that be confirmed? When are we going to know? We'll get an answer to that a little bit later on as Georgia Congressman Andrew Clyde joins me. Then we have the National Defense Authorization Act that President Biden signed last month. You may probably remember that it brought an end to the military uh, vaccine shot for COVID. The NDAA requires that not later than 30 days after the enactment, Uh, that the Secretary of Defense will rescind the COVID-19 vaccination mandate. So subsequently, we have rescinded the mandate. We're currently in the process of developing further guidance for the force. And while that process takes place, we've paused all actions uh, related to the COVID-19 vaccine mandate. Well, that was Pentagon Press Secretary Brigadier General Pat Ryder yesterday. But Is our military still being punished? Are service members being punished who still resist the jab? We'll discuss that a little bit later with Admiral Bill Lee. Then on yesterday's program, Tony discussed CVS and Walgreens efforts to turn their pharmacies that, of course, are businesses that are meant to provide medical care for people's health. But now those appear to be turning into abortion industries in and of themselves. The Heritage Foundation's Roger Severino is going to be joining me shortly to discuss this extremely important development. President Biden, well, finally, he plans to visit the border this weekend as part of his new immigration plan. But the big question, is it too little, too late? And what are we supposed to think about all, all of this? Also, all the events on Capitol Hill, what are we supposed to think about all of that What's happening with the speaker's race? What should our attitude about it all be? Here we potentially are watching an outcome that was not predetermined by the party elite. Well, we'll be discussing this and more with a very special guest before closing the program, and you want to be sure to stick around for that. And just a reminder you can find all the details of this show and past shows at tonyperkins.com. So if you miss any part of today's program, You'll be able to find it right there on the website. Also, I want to highlight this for you. If you want to sign a petition to tell CVS and Walgreens to stop their plans to turn their pharmacies into abortion businesses, then here's what you can do right now. Text the word pharmacy to 67742. Again, that's the word pharmacy, P-H-A-R-M-A-C-Y to 67742. Once you'll do that, you'll uh, have a link to sign the petition, and we encourage you to do that. Again, this is an extremely important matter we here at FRC want to stay on top of. Well, the process to select a new Speaker of the House comes to day four now, and still there's no consensus that has been reached.
2: No member-elect having received the majority of the votes cast... A speaker
1: has not been elected.
2: The House stands adjourned until 10
3: p.m. tonight.
1: So that's where we stand. 10 p.m. tonight, they'll reconvene and keep going through the process. But Republicans in the House continue negotiations. They're trying to get a new rules package that could pave the way for the speaker to finally get 218 votes, which, of course, is the threshold he needs to become the speaker Joining me now to discuss this and more is one of the Republicans who are spearheading this uh, whole effort, my good friend, U.S. Representative Andrew Clyde. He serves on the House Committee on uh, Homeland Security and also on the House Committee of Oversight and Reform. He represents Georgia's ninth congressional district. Congressman Clyde, welcome back to Washington Watch.
2: Well, thank you, Jody. It's always good to be with you. Good to speak with you again.
1: Well, it's great to have you back on the program. Listen, overall, your reactions to the events that are shaping up today?
2: Well, you know, I think this is a good thing. Uh, This is what a constitutional republic looks like. You know, people might think on television it looks like chaos on the floor, but it's not. You know, this is what fighting to fundamentally change Washington, D.C., really ends up being. You know, I came to Washington just as you did, Jody, uh, when you served here in the House. But we came to change the way this place operates because it's broken, and everybody knows that it's broken. And when you have an opportunity to make fundamental change to that system, to the way it operates, you take it, you know, because uh, um, if it's, we cannot allow the status quo to continue, you know, uh, if not now, then when? If not us, then who? Um, Congress is well, famous me, uh, for kicking down the road.
1: Well, let me ask and, you and this, a, a, Andrew, because you bring up a great point there. Uh, this uh, Washington is broken. I mean, you've said that. We've said that. We, uh, Everyone across the nation is aware of that. Uh, and yet what you and so many others have been trying to do is change a rules package, which in essence would change the way Washington operates. Uh, so w- what can you share uh, about the ongoing negotiations? Where are we in all of this right now?
2: Well, you know, I think we have a good agreement uh, in place. Uh, the only way I would have changed my vote to vote for Kevin McCarthy is if we actually had a substantial agreement in place that would, um, that would fundamentally change the way we operate here and would empower the individual members of Congress to better represent their people and and to more balance the power between the speaker and the membership, uh, where we can get to things like regular order, where bills have to go through committees and get debated on before they go to the House floor and not be like this omnibus that we saw last December that you and I both voted on, voted against, which came to the floor by by the speaker, by Nancy Pelosi, over 4,000 pages, and not one solitary opportunity to amend it. We just had to up or down vote it. And that can never be allowed to happen under a Republican majority. And that's what this fight is all about, empowering the membership to better represent their constituents.
1: Well, yeah, and that bill you referenced, not only, uh, you know, we didn't have time, have time to read it. It was just uh, when you dropped 4,000 pages in the last few moments uh, but listen, so, so are, you're pleased with the way the current negotiations are going uh, to change some of the rules. Uh, l- let me ask you this, Andrew, because I, there's a lot of talk out there. All you have to do is turn on television, and the the left-wing media is just screaming how unhealthy this process is. I personally take a different view. I think this is a healthy process. I believe this is the way it's designed to work. We have debate. We work through issues, and we come to a consensus uh, In your opinion, why is this a healthy constitutional process that you you all are currently going through?
2: Oh, you're absolutely right. This is 100 percent healthy. This is the way it's supposed to operate, because here you have, you know, a very close um, representation between Republican and Democrat, where Republicans have 222 and Democrats have 212. And here is an opportunity for a uh, where, where we have a, a an opportunity for the people or, or for the representatives, the Republican, the, the conservative Republican representatives to use leverage to bring the House back to more to a more conservative state to better represent what is our base, which is the conservative base. And that's why it's so important.
1: Andrew, I know you've got to go. You're on a hard break. We've got about 30 minutes before or 30 seconds before we promised we'd let you go. But before we do so, just real quickly, the president's making a trip to the southern border uh, this weekend. Just real quickly before you go, uh, what would you like to see him take away from this trip?
2: Well, I'd actually like him to make it to the border for once. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think he's been to the border ever. Um, and so for him to actually see what's going on in person I think is so important. But he's got to have his eyes open, you know, and he can't be asleep. So um, he's got to really, really, you know, uh, See what's going on, and uh, and he's got to understand it. And uh, I think I'm hoping that will make an impact on him.
1: Well, Andrew Clyde, Georgia's ninth congressional district. Thank you so much for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. Thanks for all you're doing and for coming on, keeping us informed.
2: Thanks, Jody. Always good to be, good to be with
1: you. Likewise. All right. Uh, before we take a quick break, one of the uh, big questions that a lot of people. Uh, always ask when we have a new Congress is, is the makeup of the House. And currently, the legacy media would like all of us to believe that politics is what's driving things uh, this week. Uh, and no question, there's a lot of politics involved here, but it, it's more than that is what's driving this. Uh, as with anything, what drives decision-making is the worldview of people who are making those decisions. And uh, of course, worldview is something that's shaped by the beliefs or the lack of beliefs that people have. So what does the faith of the 118th Congress look like? With me to talk more about this is David Clawson. He's the director of Biblical Worldview here at the Family Research Council. David, thanks so much for joining me.
4: Thanks for having me, uh, Representative Heis,
1: and welcome to the FRC team. Uh, Listen, could not be more pleased to be joining you and Tony and the whole team at FRC. Uh, Listen, before we uh, take a quick break here, I thought it'd be important for our listeners to hear from you uh, a little bit about the latest uh, Pew Research Center's report on faith on the Hill. Uh, What can you tell us about the faith of this uh, 118th Congress?
4: Yeah, it's a really interesting report, Faith on the Hill, that Pew Research Center just put out. You know, Representative Heiss, there's two trends in American kind of religious life. Uh, One is that it seems every year there's fewer and fewer Americans who identify as Christian. And the second trend would be every year it seems more and more identify as religious nuns who are either agnostic or atheistic or say they just don't care about religion. Uh, those are two trends we've observed for several years now. But what's fascinating is that when you look at the uh, religious composition of the 118th Congress, those trends have not held at all. In fact, at 88% of those who are going to be sworn in in the, the new Congress, that's House and Senate, uh, are Christian. And when you break it down, uh, 56.7% of new members and former members, the incumbents, are Protestant, and about 27.7% are Catholic. And so this is, uh, when you look at it again, 88% to identify as some form as Christian.
1: That's fascinating. I mean, that really is amazing. I-, I can tell you I witnessed that personally. It seemed in my eight years in Congress, it seemed like every election there were more believers that were coming on, so the uh, information you just shared would actually confirm.
4: Yeah, it's really interesting. I think you know, a lot of us who watch what happens in Washington, D.C., we think that this town is a godless city. It's kind of swampy. But when you look at uh, reports like this, it shows that God always has a remnant. In fact, there's a lot of faithful Christians. Uh, and as, you know, We need to be praying for our representatives to have the courage of their convictions. Uh, but it's interesting to know there's a lot of faithful believers here in Washington, D.C.,
1: David, in our last 15, 20 seconds, how would you encourage our viewers and listeners to pray for Congress?
4: Yeah, 1 Timothy uh, 2 verses 1 through 4 says we need to be praying for our leaders. So let's pray for them to have those courage of their biblical
1: convictions. Awesome. David Clawson, FRC, thank you. Thank you. Stay tuned to Washington Watch. We'll be right back in just a moment.
6: Learn more at FRC.org forward slash life.
1: The National Defense Authorization Act that was signed into law last month by President Biden eliminated the COVID shot mandate for service members. That's good news. But we still have a problem. At least seven Coast Guard cadets that were discharged last fall have not been reinstated despite a last-ditch effort for approval to start a new semester. And there are many other service members who remain in limbo as their military separation was ordered before the new law, uh, but have not yet been carried out. Uh, So with a new law in place, how in the world is this type of thing allowed to happen? And are we going to see more of this? with more service members. Joining me to discuss this and more is Vice Admiral uh, William Lee. Admiral Lee, thank you again for joining us. Welcome back to Washington Watch.
7: Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. This is an important subject to me.
1: Well, it is to all of us. I mean, here we have an NDA uh, signed by the President last month. Supposedly, it eliminates the mandate for the COVID shot for our military personnel, and it is now law. Uh, So why in the world is this thing still happening?
7: Well, that is a great question. But as you and I well know, uh, it takes a large bureaucracy a while to catch up to its wrongs. And so right now what they're trying to do, I suspect, uh, up inside the, the Pentagon and by extension thereof the Coast Guard which as you know is a department under the Department of homeland Security but we're we're in lockstep with those guys uh, policy wise and so I think they're just trying to get all their ducks in a row right now and figure out how they're going to manage this now that the mandate has been rescinded um, And first and foremost for me because it this whole thing started, um back in september when um i took on uh the mission of trying to get those seven cadets reinstated to the academy because they were tr- being treated differently than the cadets at the other um at the other service academies um all the other cadets at west point uh, annapolis and the air force academy got to stay in class while ours were ex- expelled and i just want to get them back uh, on campus so that they can get their commission and serve their country, which is their desire, and go to their graduation ceremony whenever it happens. Over.
1: Well, thank you so much for the efforts that you're making on behalf of them, and we're all keenly aware that your efforts not only impact those seven cadets, but many, many others. But as you mentioned, you are in very close contact, communication with these seven cadets at the Coast Guard. Uh, that the Coast Guard is r- refusing to reinstate. What's their mindset right now? How are they holding up?
7: Well, they were depressed in the beginning because obviously their dreams had been crushed, but, um, they they have a lawyer who's the guy that reached out to me, got me involved in it. And then by extension thereof, this organization called stars.us, whom I had never heard of before this, but, uh, The bottom line is we formed a small coalition of like-minded people, most of them retired officers, uh, and we started uh, writing letters and uh, doing news interviews such as this and and also contacted members of Congress. And ultimately, after, you know, three months of this, we finally got uh, enough attention that, um, that those great elected representatives of ours got it written into law, and the rest is history.
1: Well, we hope it's, it's history. I, it is still disturbing that we're having reports like the Coast Guard refusing to reinstate these cadets. Uh, and actually, I'm sure you're aware there are other reports of other service members that are experiencing some punitive damage uh, and treatment, uh, even though they perhaps have been allowed to remain in the service. They're still experiencing some punishment. Are you aware of some of these other cases?
7: I'm very aware of them. Um, I have been contacted by a litany of men and women from uh, all across the board, the spectrum of the services, uh, with stories of woe, and um, it breaks your heart because many of them have served for eighteen, nineteen years, and they're they were within, you know, a few months or a year or two of retirement, and then they were they've been held in in kind of captivity. Uh, in limbo for the last 18 months wondering if they were going to have a job or not. And uh, there's stress associated with that. So they're very grateful for the efforts of our elected representatives and our small coalition for at least keeping those guys from getting discharged. Now what we've got to do is focus on those that were already discharged, which those numbers are in the thousands if you add them up across all of the services. And I'm hoping that our that the Congress can also um, make sure that they get restored um, and made whole again, if that makes any sense. Over.
1: It makes all the sense in the world, and we're all here pulling for you. Yeah, it seems, Admiral, as though this type of behavior is not by accident. And you hate to say that. You hate to even allow your mind to go down that avenue. But this does seem so intentional. Uh, here we have a drug that was not even tested properly. There were uh, a lot of legitimate reasons for people to be fearful of taking it. And now we have a law that says it's no longer a mandate, and yet, and yet some of these individuals are still being forced to take it. Uh, what, what is your thought as to why this attitude is being portrayed?
7: Well, I can tell you that in the beginning, uh, I can fully understand why the mandate was put in place. I mean, we were in extremis, uh, so to speak, uh, in the military services. Now, I was already retired at that point. But uh, truth be known, I would have done the same thing if I had been in charge um, of a major command back then, because you got to stay ready. But as we learn more about the efficacy of the vaccine, um, and we became more knowledgeable. Um, it, it, And, and then by the way, when about 97, 98 percent of the workforce was already vaccinated uh, and we got on the other side of this thing, then we needed to take another look at it. And so while I don't hold um, them in contempt in any way, shape or form for what began as a righteous cause, what I question is why they stuck with it so long at the expense of uh, what started out as a readiness issue turned into another type of readiness issue because they were expelling people that they needed when they can't find enough people at the recruiting offices to backfill the jobs, the vacancies that they're leaving, if that makes any sense.
1: Uh, Well, it it absolutely does. Admiral, listen, we want to thank you for coming back on Washington Watch with us. So many of these guardsmen, uh, so much is invested in these service members, and that certainly ought to be a factor uh, in all of this as well. But thank you for joining us tonight on Washington Watch. As always, we appreciate your efforts. Coming up, more on CVS and Walgreens and their efforts to join the abortion industry, and what can we do to stop it all. Stay tuned for more Washington Watch right after this break. US Food and Drug Administration continues its push for dangerous chemical abortion drugs, rejecting a recent appeal from the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists for better oversight and regulation of the pills. This dismissal comes the same week the FDA confirmed it is changing its rules to allow pharmacies to distribute chemical abortion drugs. With the national chains CVS and Walgreens, confirming now that they will seek approval to distribute these drugs, there's little doubt that other pharmacies are watching to see how the wind blows. So how should we respond to all of this? Joining me now to discuss the latest on this and more is Roger Severino. He's vice president of domestic policy at the Heritage Foundation. He also previously served as the director of of the HHS Office of Civil Rights in the Trump administration. Roger, welcome back to Washington Watch. Glad to have you.
8: Thank you, Congressman.
1: Well, listen, uh, this is all uh, a baffling issue uh, for us to get our heads around, uh, but the FDA, the, the process for its rules and regulations pertaining to chemical abortions, uh, seems to be at odds with how uh, cautious the agency Uh, seems to be with other regulations. Uh, Wouldn't you agree with that? It seems to be a double standard here.
8: Well, it's worse than that. This is putting politics over science and women's health. This was a drug that was approved first 20 years ago under some strict guidelines. A doctor had to be present. They had to make sure that the woman who wanted the abortion would meet with the doctor before it was prescribed, would be able to find out if there's an ectopic pregnancy or contraindications. And 28 women. 28 women have died with these dangerous chemical abortion drugs. Yet now the Biden administration, for purely political reasons, is turning it into like a vitamin. They want to make CVS and Walgreens dispending these these dangerous drugs uh, with very little oversight whatsoever. All they need is a prescription from an abortionist without any in-person visit. It could be done by Zoom, by a telephone call, and then you could get your abortion drugs. And this is dangerous for women. It's turning our local CVS and Walgreens into abortion clinics. This is terrible for our culture, not to mention the thousands of innocent human babies whose lives will be lost and the mothers who will be scarred because of this dangerous change in safety protocols.
1: Well, that is, that's some profound information. You know, one of the things, uh, Roger, that concerns me is uh, no question there will be legal issues coming about. But what about the, the situation, how this ultimately plays out with states that have some pro, uh, strong pro-life legislation already? Mm-hmm. Uh, are these chemical abortion drugs going to be allowed in these states that have pro-life legislation? And what's the legal ramifications of all of that?
8: For, for states like Texas and others that have heartbeat or better protections, this is illegal. These pharmacies cannot be dispensing these abortion chemical drugs. There's also a question as whether it violates federal law, because we have federal laws on the book, books that prevent the interstate trafficking in abortion drugs. It's very clear. So these pharmacists are pulling themselves at tremendous risk. But th- where is this all coming from? It's coming from the Biden administration answering to the radical pro-abortion base. That's it. Had the Dobbs decision not happened, we wouldn't be having this. This mockery of the law happening right now, because Dobbs happened, all of a sudden they pressured FDA to allow dispensing of these dangerous drugs at your local corner pharmacy when it had never been happened, it had never been allowed before. This is pure mm-hmm. politics taking over science. There is no reason whatsoever to allow people to buy these drugs based on a telephone call and stockpile them, right? Because before you had to take the drug in front of the doctor. Uh, Now you could buy as many as you want in the stockpile them. Didn't we learn our lessons from the opioid crisis? What happens when you put these dangerous drugs into the stream of commerce without oversight? It's going to be abused. We'll have women die as a result of this, not to mention the violation of state pro-life laws.
1: Uh, Well, one of the things we certainly learned uh, from history is that we don't learn from history. And I hope you're uh, not accurate, but I'm afraid that we are headed down the exact path that you just described what, what about uh, conscience protection for pro-life pharmacists? I mean, here we have some uh, Walgreens, CVS, wh- wh- and, and others. What about the, uh, the, the conscience protections for pharmacists? Are they going to be bypassed as well, and, and these individuals forced to sell a drug that they don't want to participate in selling?
8: Well, I had the honor of enforcing the Church Amendment at HHS as head of the Office for Civil Rights. That prevents employers from firing doctors who could not in good conscience prescribe abortion pills. Unfortunately, that law is enforced only by HHS and now is dominated by Secretary Becerra, who was an abortion radical. He was in my crosshairs when I was enforcing conscience laws, and he was Attorney General of California, and now he is the fox guarding the hen house. They are not enforcing conscious protection laws whatsoever. It is shameful. And that's why we need things like the Conscious Protection Act to be passed by Congress so that individual pharmacists who are being forced to assist in the taking of human life will get protection and could go to federal court and sue their employers. Uh, I I would imagine Walgreens and CVS are going to push. They already announced they're going to be doing this abortion pill handouts in their pharmacies. They're probably going to force their employees to go along with it. And they should be held accountable to federal law if they do.
1: Wow. Well, I I couldn't agree more. And listen, we appreciate you joining us and keeping us up to speed on this. Uh, and this is something Christians ought to prepare, at least start thinking about, potentially taking their businesses They el- should be protesting they should in front be of protesting. their Absolutely. And considering taking their business elsewhere. Uh, FRC Action has a petition that our viewers can go to sign uh, on this issue with CVS and Walgreens. Again, text the word pharmacy pharmacy, to 67742, and you'll be able to get a link to our petition and move on from there. Again, Roger, thank you for joining us. Coming up on our next section of Washington Watch, uh, we've got much more, much more straight ahead. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back in a moment.
6: This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss. I'm honored to be with you this evening, and we appreciate you so much for joining us. After two years of ignoring record-breaking human trafficking and drug smuggling at our southern border, President Biden is finally going to visit the southern border himself. He spoke about his new immigration policy yesterday, and this is what he had to say.
0: And I will visit the border myself this Sunday in El Paso to assess border enforcement operations meet with the local officials and community leaders and the folks at the border sending me what they need that they don't have and make it public what they conclude they need they don't have to try to convince my Republican colleagues they should do something.
1: Ah, so it's all been the Republicans' fault all these two years. Pretty remarkable. But, you know, while little can be learned from a staged photo op, and I'll put it that way, uh, there's probably a lot that the president could learn if he really wanted to take an honest look as to what's happening at the border. And certainly it's my hope that he'll do that. Uh, but is it too little too late? I mean, we've got two years of absolute disaster that's a cor- uh, uh, been taking place there. Joining me now to discuss this is Arizona Sheriff Mark Daniels. He's chair of the Border Security Committee in Cochise County, Arizona. Sheriff Welcome back to Washington Watch. As always, we're honored to have you.
9: Well, thanks for having me, Jody, and uh, good to be on your show.
1: Well, we appreciate all that you do. Uh, Last month, President Biden said that uh, he had more important things to do than to visit our southern border, and I want to play that clip for you here.
7: Why go to a border? Not visit the
1: border because the more important thing going
9: on, they're going to invest
1: billions of dollars in a new enterprise. Wow, uh, Sheriff what do, what do you think has changed in the last month? Last last month, the president said he had no interest in visiting the border because he had more important things to do. Uh, now he's actually coming. What do you think's the difference? Well,
9: uh, Jody, first of all, it's political chess. That's all we're doing is playing political chess. This president, this Congress, this administration has failed to address border security, immigration reform, and in the last 24 months, we have seen record numbers coming across our border. Five million breaches, includes a million gotaways in this country, and that's a nominal number. Thousand-plus deaths on U.S. soil for people coming across our border illegally. In my county alone, we've had since January till the middle of November, I don't have the last month here. Over 1,400 people put in my county jail for border-related crimes, all we have to murder. We've had over 500 victims of felony crimes related to the border in my county. Once again, this border is in crisis chaotic mode. So he's coming down. He's going to El Paso, which is the photo op part of the southwest border. If you really want to see the border, you should have your southwest border sheriffs, your national sheriffs, your western sheriffs that have reached out to him and asked him over the last two years to meet with us, which he has refused even to reply to us. So, again, I call political chess. I applaud him for coming down here. But do you really want to solve the problem? I stand guarded on that statement.
1: Well, listen, I'm right there with you. I I hope this is not just uh, an attempt for a photo op. Uh, Look, I've been to the border many, many times. I've been to every sector, all nine sectors up and down. I've been with you and others. I've watched it. Uh, and, you know, I'm glad the president's going as well. Uh, but if he wanted to see the truth and not simply have a photo op, what are some of the things he would find?
9: Well, he'd see the crime going on the border. He'd see what's being put out to the media or put out by the national media that the borders effectively secured. Remember, over the last two years, this president has failed to recognize or even concede that the border is in a crisis mode. And that goes for Secretary Mayorkas, too. In fact, the words are, it's effectively secured. We know that's not true. We're seeing it with the crime. We're seeing it with the death, the humanitarian side of this, and this surge on our southwest border. So if you really want to see it, talk to your line agents on the southwest border. These are the experts, Border patrol. Talk to your mayors. Talk to your sheriffs. Engage the ones that live here, work here, and lead here. And I guarantee you, the picture that he's been painted, or the picture that he's well aware of, I call it... uh, uh, intellectual avoidance with intended consequences. He knows what's going on in this border. That's why I call it political chess. He has not prioritized the border. Again, we're two years from an election. He's talking about Rhea uh, running for president again. It all comes in hand in hand. But I hope, and I'm going to keep my prayers there, and my hopes high, I'll never get a hope that he's coming here for the right reasons. Let's see what happens from there.
1: Well, I hope you're right. We're all, we all hope you're right, that he's coming for the uh, right reasons Uh, But yesterday, unbelievable to me, but he he comes out and literally blames Congress for not fixing the border problem uh, and made it sound as though he is coming in on a white horse to save the day. Uh, Listen to this clip.
0: The actions we're announcing today will make things better, will make things better, but will not fix the border problem completely. There's more that has to be done. I laid that out in the first week I was here. That work will not be done unless and until the Congress enacts and funds a more comprehensive immigration plan that I proposed on day one.
1: Wow. So so there you go. He he offered the solution to all of this on day one when he went to the White House. And here two years later, he's making his first visit. Uh, and let, let me just ask you candidly, Sheriff, uh, are the problems we're facing on the southern border, related to policy uh, that's coming from the White House, frankly?
9: Yeah, I would say yes, and I'd add a word to that. That's failed policies. And it's also failed messaging. The people that we address on the southwest border, I deal with gotaways almost 100 percent, people that fight and flight from us down here in the Tucson sector. Uh, other ones are give-ups. But either way, however you look at it, these numbers speak. They're nonpolitical numbers, the stats, and the deaths are real. This president has failed to prioritize this border. What he has done is played the blame game. It's Congress's fault. It's the Republicans' fault. This is not a political issue. It's not a blue issue. It's not a red issue. It's not a white issue. It's a red, white, blue, America's issue. And the day we recognize and get politics out of this and we identify that the problems on the border are real in Washington, D.C., just like they are down here, it's America's border not just the southwest border, we can fix this. But right now, we've got to quit this blame game. You're the leader of our country. Lead with us, not against us.
6: Well,
1: Sheriff, we all want to say thank you for the incredible work that you and your team are doing all across the border uh, and there in your county uh, taking the lead and for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on Washington Watch this evening. We greatly appreciate it. Keep the torch ablaze, my friend.
9: Thank you, Jody. Happy New Year to you and your viewers. Thank you.
1: Likewise. All right, friends, it's been quite a week in Washington. I don't know any other way to describe it, as we've seen the political process play out in real time since Tuesday. And the uh, legacy media and the left, they want to portray this as a bad thing that's happening in front of us. And even worse, some are even equating this to the January 6th so-called insurrection.
8: And there's actually a through line here from the January 6th, 2021 attack on our capital, to this small band of, um, frankly, insurrectionists that are now attacking our democracy from the floor of the House, trying to disrupt our ability to govern, uh, to serve our constituency, and to move the country forward. And it's really a sad day in America once again, two years later.
1: Stunning to me to hear that. That was Democrat uh, Representative Annie Custer of New Hampshire earlier today on CBS News. Uh, And, well, look, I would argue that political parties should not be ruled by fiat. And and the fact that there is disagreement uh, and and hearing voices across both sides of any argument, uh, that's exactly what a dynamic political party allows I told you before the program would end, we had a very, very special guest. And joining me now to discuss this further as we close out our week here is FRC President Tony Perkins. Tony, it doesn't even seem right to say welcome back to Washington Watch, but we're honored to have you joining us.
3: Learn more and find a stand courageous event near you at stand
0: Uh, with the uh, Republicans in the House. That's where you can move forward. You can't move forward with false unity that's forced upon people because, A, they're ignored, they're suppressed or their votes aren't counted. And so I think
1: this is a very, very healthy process. Tony, I think that is an excellent Excellent point. Uh, And it's highly offensive to me to sit back and watch this type of statement to refer to those who are doing the job of representatives, having debate, working through issues, in this case, trying to fix what's broken in Washington, and for them to be referred to as insurrectionists. But the point you just brought up is something that, that bears repeating and for us to digest personally all of us who are tuned in right now that insurrections literally occur because of suppression and what these right. representatives are doing is trying to liberate people who have been suppressed in congress for so many years is that an accurate portrayal it is i mean what when you were elected and when we
0: help members of congress or candidates get elected to congress People get involved in their campaigns and they want to see them go to Washington and represent them. They want that's their voice in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill. But as you know, and as we've talked about this week on the program for the last um, four years, the last five years, almost members of Congress have not had a voice. It's been confined to the leadership. You cannot amend bills on the floor. You get no time to review these bills. The the committee process has been completely violated, oftentimes circumvented completely. And so they're trying to fix it. And again, this is how our system is supposed to work. We've grown so accustomed to things just being forced upon us that when we actually see it functioning as it should, it is alarming. Well, quite frankly, I'm in Again, not to be repetitive, but I'm encouraged by this that you've got men and women of conviction say, no, this is a moment in time in which we can fix this. And Jody, this is what I also see happening is that people will regain a confidence in this process when we get to the end of this, because they'll see the outcome puts us in a better place than when we were where we were when we started.
1: Yeah, you know, I I watch some of my colleagues in Congress right now uh, arguing about this process themselves, and I look at many of them with the full understanding that they have never seen Congress operate the way it was intended to operate, where members are allowed to go to the floor and offer an amendment to a bill. Uh, and, And people need to be aware, it's been over six years since members of Congress have been allowed to offer an amendment to the bill on the floor of the House of Representatives. And many uh, who are serving in Congress right now have never known any other system than that which currently exists where deals are made in back rooms and then uh, bills just dropped on the floor and you're expected to vote on it right away. And so I think you're spot on where we're going to see members who experience for the first time the way the process is supposed to operate in Washington, and I believe that'll not only be impactful to them, but it will ultimately have an enormous impact across our entire country. Agree? Right,
0: and and as we've talked about this week, this is not about personality or about individuals. This is this is about the process, and and I, I just I have to commend those uh, members, most of them in the Freedom Caucus, that have pushed and they have they have succeeded in large part based upon my conversations today with members and what we've seen. They have they have changed the rules, or at least we've gotten uh, commitments to change these rules in a very significant way, opening up the process and once again, making this the people's house. So again, Jody, this has been a great process. Uh, it's encouraging. It's just the beginning. But I do think This is a point in which we can restore confidence in our government because it will work giving people a voice in their government.
1: All right, Tony, as we we wrap it up here, let me give you uh, two quick questions, and I want to do it in two questions because they're somewhat similar. Uh, First of all, what do you say to people who are just being inundated with the media right now talking about how terrible this is? What would you say to them? And then secondly, how should Christians in particular respond right now? Well, to the first one, Jody, is I don't, you know, I
0: used to be a defender of the media. I was a television reporter many, many years ago before I got into politics. And I used to defend the media, but the media has become an opposition party in many ways to conservative ideas. And so don't listen to them. And as Christians, we need to be in the word of God and we need to see things from an eternal perspective. And that gives us hope and
1: encouragement. 30 seconds, what do Christians need to do? How do they respond? Prayer in the word and standing firm in the truth. Pray, vote, and stand would be a good uh, attitude to follow. Outstanding. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, each and every one, for joining us on Washington Watch. Have a fantastic weekend. We'll see you next week.